0: Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.
1: Firing hundreds more rockets. A mass
0: shooting aimed at
1: elementary school children. Nuclear threats out of North Korea. At least 50 people were hit. Something just blew up. Rescue mode. The fuse of nuclear war is slowly
2: burning. the, the <laughs> <war>. <laughs> and defend what? North
1: US, widespread all right. Well, welcome, to Liquid Church, everybody. I'm Pastor Tim. Hey, we got to give a special welcome all our sister campuses: New Brunswick, Nutley, Mountainside, coming soon. Can we welcome them? Glad you guys are with us today. Hey, thrilled you are here for our new series, Signs. We're talking about biblical prophecy in the end times. Recently, there's been a lot of ominous signs that I think have grabbed people's attention. We see it in the world around us. Tornadoes kind of ravaging the heartland of our country. Earthquakes, wildfires, tsunamis. For the first 30 years of my life, I'd never experienced a hurricane. Now we've survived two here in New Jersey. There's madness in the Middle East, nightly news, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. Civil war right now in Syria, the threat of genocide. Bombings in Boston. Boston brought the threat of terror much closer to home this spring, and there's this growing fear that this is like now the new normal in this culture of fear and paranoia that we are living in, and, and I don't know what these signs mean to you when you watch the news or, or, or wherever you get your news, most of you probably read it online, those of you who are uh, in their 20s, this is called a newspaper, some of us uh, read this, okay, um, for, for some people, honestly, this is fascinating. People are like, oh, I can't wait to get, dig into this. And others, it's, it's more fear-inducing because you're like, is this just history repeating or is this the end times, the last days? Some people feel fear. And you know what? That's understandable. In 1966, Robert Kennedy, who was a state senator at the time, he said, like it or not, we live in interesting times. They are times of danger and uncertainty. When I look back over the last decade, I think that, that is certainly true. I want you to think about the last 12 years... Since 9-11 launched us into a global war on terror, um, we were unfamiliar with terms like Jihad, Bin Laden, IEDs, Abu Ghraib. Now we talk daily about, you know, predator drones and data surveillance. That's just natural now for us. Our nation, since that time, has endured two war wars in the Middle East, one in Afghanistan, the other Iraq. 4,000 lives lost, billions spent, a lot of blood and treasure poured into those sands. And yet the climate in the Middle East seems more tenuous than ever. The Arab Spring in Egypt and Libya in 2010 saw dictators like Mubarak and Gaddafi forced from power. And you remember in Tahrir Square, like hopes for freedom ran very strong, that like, true reform was underway. But the truth is, the elevator dropped straight into the mosque, and radical Islamic hardliners now are threatening any hopes for legitimate democracy and peace. In Syria, the accusations right now are that they are committing genocide using chemical weapons on their own people. Now, if you put man-made conflicts aside, Mother Nature is kind of inflicting her own brand of destruction. In 2010, a 7.0 magnitude earthquake rocked Haiti, poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. 220,000 people died in a single day. That's the largest humanitarian disaster of our generation. But it was one year later that a 2011 earthquake off the coast of Japan triggered a tsunami, that uh, melted down the Fukushima nuclear plant, leaking radiation around Tokyo and in the, in the environment. And we look at these things and we say, well, you know what? We've had earthquakes, but like this many, tornadoes this intense, natural disasters like this that we are experiencing in our life seem ominous because we, we give them these cute names like Katrina or Irene or Sandy, but we look at these things and they make us wonder, why do they seem to be increasing in intensity in their frequency? How about the economic signs of the times? The financial crisis five years ago triggered global recession, markets crashed, debt ballooned. We learned a new language of government bailouts, downgraded credit ratings, occupy Wall Street. And as the American economy kind of recovers very slowly, Europe right now is just struggling um, with wage and welfare stagnation. Check this out. In Greece right now, the jobless rate for adults under 25 is 60%. 60% unemployment, okay? Okay. Italy, Spain, Western nations that were once stable are now teetering on insolvency. And in their wake, China has emerged as the world's largest economic superpower with a military to back it up. Tensions between North Korea and South Korea stand on a knife's edge as our attention turns east from the fading west. And in the midst of all this, our own social fabric here at home shows signs of, of, of fraying. The massacre at the schoolhouse in Newtown, Connecticut. Reflects the violence growing like an epidemic in our culture. Gun violence is on the rise. Mass shootings at Virginia Tech, Colorado, Sandy Hook, Santa Monica two days ago. Terror is now homegrown, reflecting a culture that has grown very dark, very materialistic and decadent over the last couple of decades. We live in interesting times, times of danger and uncertainty. These tectonic shifts in politics and economics and ideologies, it's enough to make anyone you know, shake their head and ask, What do these signs mean? Are we living in the last days? Is history coming to this kind of climactic end? That was the very question that 2,000 years ago, the followers of Jesus Christ asked him directly. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's very interesting, in the New Testament, Jesus told his followers that hard times, persecution was coming, and they were scared, and here's what they said. They said, tell us, Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming And of the end of the age. Did you think the same thing when you saw the tornadoes, you know, two weeks ago, and then the next week more tornadoes hit that? We asked the same question. The disciples were confused. They were scared by Jesus' predictions about hard times ahead. And here's what Jesus answered. He said, watch out that nobody deceives you. You will hear of, let's say this together, ready? Wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen... But the end is still to come. In other words, Jesus was like, there's an inevitability to what you're witnessing today in your lifetime. But it's more than just history repeating. Rather, you are witnessing the unveiling of God's sovereign plan for all of human history. And Jesus said, you will see unmistakable signs. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be what? Famines and earthquakes in various places. Look at what Jesus spotlights. Are we seeing these things today? Wars and rumors of wars, check. Nation against nation, check. Famines, check. Earthquakes, check, check, check. And then Jesus throws this curveball. He says, all these are the beginning of what? Birth pains. In other words, you're not witnessing the end. You're witnessing the beginning of something new. God is birthing something, what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And the question is, can you read the signs of our time?" And that's precisely where Bible prophecy comes in. Prophecy is simply defined as the ability to predict or forecast the future before it happens. What's interesting is we put the Bible on your seat today. If you take that out, 30% of this book is devoted to prophecy. Did you know that? And over the last few years, there's been a wave of interest in end times predictions from the Mayan calendar, 2012, Nostradamus. Prophecy is a hot topic. In fact, look at this. A nationwide poll asked adults if they agreed with the following statement. Would you agree with this? events such as the rebirth of the state of Israel, wars and instability in the Middle East, recent earthquakes, and the tsunami in Asia are evidence that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days. Would you agree or disagree with that? Here's what's very interesting. Four in ten Americans agreed with that statement, and it wasn't just Southerners in the Bible belt, okay? Okay. That's the modern media stereotype. But check this out. One in three residents in New England believe we're living in the last days. I think that's because the Red Sox won the World Series, personally. I think that's like (laughs) sign of the times. Four in ten Democrats believe we're living in the last days. Half of all Republicans. One in three Jewish people believe that we are living in the end times. And catch this, significant. Young people, ages 18 through 25. Six in ten millennials believe that their generation is living in the last days. Now... Just because millions of people believe that they are witnessing Bible prophecy coming true in their lifetime doesn't mean that they are actually reading the signs of the times accurately. Because, let's be honest, when you read the newspaper, you watch the news, most of us interpret current events through one of two lenses, economics or politics, right? Money and power. Money makes the world go round. The world is ruled by cash and profits. Let's just acknowledge that Goldman Sachs runs the world, right? And men are after power, okay? It's just this jockeying position. That's what's happening in the Middle East. They're after oil. It's about land. And and, and that's how most people interpret the news, through the lens of economics or politics. But there's a third lens I want to introduce you today that opens up a new way of viewing history. And that's the lens of prophecy. And the idea here is that ancient scripture provides a window into the mind of God that reveals that history is really his story. (laughs) Everything that happens is part of this larger story, this narrative that's being authored by the hand of God himself. And you're holding that in your hands. History is his story. And God's story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when we see these events, we're reminded that, you know what? Nothing's random. The Lord is actually guiding history to its ultimate redemptive end, which he alone knows. And what that means is nothing's random. When you view it through the lens of prophecy, each one actually is assigned a plot point along the timeline of God's story that he's going to use to achieve his sovereign will. History is his story. That's our first big idea today if you're taking notes. So as we open God's word, what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to view current events through this third lens, not financial, not political, but the lens of prophecy. There's a theologian named Karl Barth. He taught his students. He said, I want you to read the newspaper in one hand with a Bible in the other. In other words, interpret the darkness of one in the light of the other. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We are going to become students of the world and the Word. So let's do this. Open up your Bible, would you, to Luke chapter 12. And what you're about to see is Jesus giving some instruction to his disciples about how to learn to read the signs of the times. Luke chapter 12, Jesus said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, oh, it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. And now watch this question. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? And basically Jesus was saying, hey, you guys know how to give a five-day forecast. There's an app for that, right? You look on your phone and if there's a little sun. It's going to be sunny and the rain. Oh, it's rain showers. You get that. They were farmers in Jesus' day. They would look at the sky and they'd say, oh, rain's coming. It's going to be a dry summer. And so they could interpret the signs in the sky. But here's the problem. Jesus was like, the early believers, you can't see the signs of the spiritual crisis that is coming in your lifetime. That's a fact. The early Christians could not see the coming confrontation with the Roman Empire, for instance. The early believers, the, the Jewish people to whom Jesus appeared, the old, old Testament, they could not see that the predicted Messiah, the Savior, who was prophesied over and over again in the Old Testament, was standing right in front of them. In fact, they got it so screwed up, they killed the wrong man. They could not read the signs of their times and see what was coming. 2,000 years later, I think modern Christians were faced with the same question. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time. And that's one of, honestly, my, my goals for this series. It's to give you tools, equip you with tools to read the signs and interpret current events through this lens of Bible prophecy. Now, let me just acknowledge here. I want to make a little caveat. Obviously, not all historical events are predicted in the Bible. And heaven knows there, are all, there is no shortage of nutjobs out there, okay, who make the rest of the world kind of roll their eyes from Harold Camping to the Mayan calendar, that's the problem with prophecy. It's what I call the wackadoodle factor, okay? That's a technical term, all right? Every few months, some talking head with a mic makes a prediction about the world ending on this day or Judgment Day is going to be this day. But you know what the Bible actually says? The Bible says we have human limitations when it comes to predicting things. For instance, the return of Jesus Christ. Do you know what Jesus said about that? Jesus said, no one knows, about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. So be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. I remember when I was a teenager, there was a book predicting 1984 was going to be the end of the world. You guys remember that? Anyone else? Then it was Y2K. Who remembers Y2K, right? Then it's 2012, and here we are. Basically, based on what Jesus is saying here, is if somebody gives a specific date and time for the end of the world, you can be guaranteed to one thing. That is definitely not the day and the time it's going to occur. So understand this. A lot of the events that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, Armageddon, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, they could occur during my lifetime, my children's lifetime, or their children's. As Jesus said, you don't know when that time will come. But I'm giving you certain signs to read. Not for the purpose of picking dates. That would be a hindrance, not a help to faith. And so my point to you is this. We need to approach Bible prophecy in the end times with humility. Can you say that word? Humility. In other words, I'm not going to start telling you to get ready for, you know, December 12th this year. You know what's coming, December 12th. It's 12, 12, 13. Something's going to happen. Like, you know, <laughs> stockpile ammo, get canned peaches and everything. The, the goal of this series is not to bug you out with the Bible, Okay? The goal of this series is to do what Jesus told his followers to do, and that is be on guard, be alert. You don't know when that time will come. Pay attention so you can learn to read the signs of history because history is his story. And we approach God's story with humility but also with confidence because we know the author. We are actually part of the plot line, and we know how it ends. I've read the ending. Have you? (laughs) Spoiler alert, all right? Let's do this. Let's take a quick moment to pray. I want to just introduce God's, or invite God's spirit, just kind of in our midst to teach us. So bow your heads, would you? Father, thank you for your word that says you haven't given us a spirit of fear, but of faith and of love and a sound mind. And so that's what I pray for right now, God. Would you just give us a sound mind and insight and wisdom as we examine your word in humility? We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us into your truth. Lead us not with the mind of man, but the mind of Christ and protect our hearts and minds as we understand our world in light of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right, all right. Here's how we're going to attack this. Today we're going to focus on basically one sign, probably the biggest super sign, and really involves a nation that is just a baby. If you turn your uh, attention to the side screens, let me show you on Google Map where this is located. Her total landmass is about the size of New Jersey, but the global impact of this tiny nation far outstrips her small size. And if you haven't guessed Israel is the starting point for ancient prophecy and it's the future staging ground for events that are going to impact your world. Israel is just over 60 years old. She's actually very young for a country, but she's hard to miss. She is featured in the nightly news more than any other nation than the United States even. Now, why is that? To understand, you need to turn back the clock to 1948 when the United Nations recommended that British military depart Palestine. And on May 14th, 1948, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, Israeli Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion, that's him, stepping to the microphone, in Tel Aviv, he announced Israel's independence with these historic words. He said, By virtue of our natural and historic right, and on the strength of the resolution of the United Nations, we hereby declare the establishment of the State of Israel. In other words, a nation was born, or should I say born again, And that new state took the star of King David as its national symbol. And on that pivotal day in human history, May 14th, 1948, God's prophetic timeline began ticking. 6,000 miles away here in America, President Harry Truman sat in our Oval Office. And he was the first head of state to officially recognize Israel with these words. He said, the government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine. The United States recognized the provisional government as de facto authority of the new state of Israel. Happy birthday. The very next day, Israel was attacked from every side by Arab states hostile to the newborn nation. One day old, attacked from every side. But miraculously, she survived and she grew. And here today, 60 years later, she stands at the geopolitical center of the world, surrounded by hostile neighbors, Syria, Lebanon, terrorist groups like Hezbollah, Hamas, and you and I have to wonder, how does a tiny nation the size of New Jersey, six million Jews in all, how does a fledgling country like that make world headlines and survive like this? Answer. Because according to prophecy, Israel is not just the ancient starting point for prophecy. It will be the future staging ground for all events that prophecy in in our world. And the reality is, guys, I want to show you today in Genesis how it begins before we tear into Revelation. So would you flip in your Bible to Genesis chapter 12? Genesis means origins. It means beginnings. And I want to show you the beginning of prophecy. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are the story of creation, the fall of man, the history to the time of Abraham. But here's the deal. The next 38 chapters of Genesis... Record the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the fathers of the Jewish race, which tells you something about how important God considers the Jewish people in the arc of his story. Okay, In Genesis 12, first verse, God made a covenant with Abraham who was going to be the father of the Jewish nation. Here's what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a, say it together, a great nation... And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. So God promises Abraham three things. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make a great nation of you, and your name's going to be great. Let me tell you something. On 1948, there were 650,000 Jews who returned to Israel when the state was founded in 1948. And today, there are now over 6 million this just happened in March, the first time that their account has ever exceeded the amount of people who were exterminated in the Holocaust. You know where the highest concentration of Jews are outside of Israel? The United States. 5.5 million, about 80% of them live here in the New York metro area. 14 million Jews worldwide, and that's, con- that's incredible, considering 6 million people were wiped out in the Holocaust. So throughout history, they have been made into an incredible nation, and against all odds, they have been a blessing they've been a blessing to you to me the jews have been a blessing particularly to the christian community when you consider that without the jews we wouldn't have this the bible the many of the 66 books of this bible were written by jewish authors without the jews there would be no jesus and without our lord and savior jesus who is a jew there would be no christianity so they have been a blessing to all peoples that far is far disproportionate to their tiny numbers and finally in genesis 12.3, God said this, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will what? Curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And we have seen that promise kept faithfully. After World War II, America became the de facto homeland for the Jewish people, and we have been blessed as a country, as we have stood by Israel, supported her sovereignty, and safeguarded the religious freedoms of the Jewish people. On the flip side of the coin, I want you to think about the countries that have opposed Israel over the years. Assyria, Babylon, the Roman Empire, they have been wiped off the map. Brutal regimes in Egypt, Pharaoh, modern Germany, Hitler, all have failed in their attempts to crush the Jewish people. So in every way, God has fulfilled his ancient promise here to Abraham in Genesis 12. And yet 4,000 years later, to this day, this issue of who controls the land of Israel is the most explosive issue in global politics. And that's because God's covenant here with Israel was unlike any other in human history. In Deuteronomy 7, listen to what God declared. He said, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his what? His treasured possession. God considers Israel his chosen people. And and some have said, you know, how odd of God to choose the Jews, like Of all the empires on earth, the Romans, the Italians, why would God's hand-select this tiny nation Israel, who's kind of a perpetual underdog, to be his treasured possession? Answer, it's certainly not their numbers, right? The Jewish people total represent less than two-thirds of 1% of the whole world's population. It certainly isn't um, the Jews' spiritual sensitivity. Have you read the Old Testament? The Old Testament is the long and sorry record of how Israel rejected and abandoned God and rebelled against him. So why did God choose the Jews? Answer, because history is his story. And at the center of his story, he wanted a people who would represent his goodness to every nation and tribe on earth. And even when they weren't faithful, God would remain committed to them. And so he established a covenant with them. And the central sign of his covenant was the promise of land. Genesis 15 tells us this. It says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. You guys know where this is? God's actually giving geographic boundaries to this land promised to Abraham. This is not mystical language, okay? It's not spiritualized. God's referring to a piece of real estate, You could know that today. The geographic references are identifiable. The river of Egypt would actually be the valley by the Nile River. And the river Euphrates runs through modern-day Iraq, okay? Now watch this. If you look at Israel's modern boundaries, see it right there? It's just shaped like New Jersey. It's just a speck there. You'll see she does not currently possess all the land that God promised to her. In fact, biblically speaking, if Israel were to occupy the land promised here in Genesis 15, it would look like this. She would possess the holdings of present-day Israel, Lebanon, the West Bank of Jordan, and substantial portions of Syria, Saudi Arabia, and Iraq. That's incredible. That's an incredible promise, a gift from God to his chosen people. And notice, that pledge was not just for Abraham, but to all the descendants up to this present day. In Genesis 17, God says this, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, For the generations to come and be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And suddenly, we see why Israel is at the epicenter of Bible prophecy in human history. Millennia ago, God said, Israel, you will be the ancient starting point. And the future staging ground for future generations. Unfortunately, you guys know how it has gone in history. Israel's rebellion against God kind of ruined everything. Her failure to be faithful. She ran after foreign gods in the Old Testament. It resulted in her being driven from the promised land. Year after year, Israel was scattered by foreign armies to the four corners of the earth. And this was part of the fulfillment of the warning God gave her that she ignored. Look in Deuteronomy 4. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. See, Israel's story is really our story, right? Isn't it? Think about it. Out of loving kindness, God chooses you to be his treasured possession, and he, he, but our sin, right, our pride, lead us to idolatry. Time and again, God said to Israel, I'm a jealous God, have no other gods before me. And time and time again, Israel actually said, you know what? I don't think I need you. I can handle this myself. I'm going to go my own way. And finally, God said, okay, go. Get out. Leave the promised land. Fend for yourself. In history, or his story, records a tragic result. In the year 70 AD, the Roman emperor Titus destroyed Jerusalem, ransacked the temple, and scattered the Jewish people to four corners of the earth. This carving, actually, I took a picture um, when I was in Rome this past spring. This is the Arch of Titus, a carving on that. It's right outside the Colosseum, and you can see these are Titus's troops. They dismantled and burned the Jewish temple, stole the menorah, all the lampposts, and the Ark of the Covenant. They burned down the gold, and they used that gold to finance the building of the Roman Colosseum. You can see that today. And they built it with the slave labor, the Jews. That's who built the Colosseum. For the next 1,900 years, the Jewish people suffered. Exiled from their homeland, stomped on by nation after nation, two millennia, they have suffered greatly, perhaps no more greatly than during the Holocaust in the 1940s, of which this clip is a reminder.
0: Before and during World War II, Jews throughout Europe were the target of merciless, state-sponsored persecution. In 1933, Nine million Jews lived in 21 European countries. By 1945, two out of three European Jews had been murdered. When the smoke finally cleared, the terrible truth came out. The Holocaust brought about the extermination of one-third of the worldwide Jewish population at the time. Following the German invasion of the Soviet Union in 1941, Mobile killing units following the German army began shooting massive numbers of Jews on the outskirts of conquered cities and towns. Seeking more efficient means to accomplish their obsession, the Nazis created a private and organized method of killing huge numbers of Jewish civilians. Extermination centers were established in Poland. Millions died in the ghettos and concentration camps through starvation, execution, brutality and disease. Of the six million Jews murdered during the Second World War, more than half were exterminated in the Nazi death camps, and the names Treblinka, Auschwitz, and Dachau became synonymous with the horrors of the Holocaust.
1: The Jewish people were chosen by God, and after they abandoned Him, they were scattered, and across time they have suffered, unlike anything you or I can imagine remember when I visited the National Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. for the first time and first saw that pile of shoes at the entrance. Have you seen this? It's a mound of thousands of shoes of men and women, boys and girls, who represent the six million who were exterminated at Nazi death camps. And it was jarring the first time I saw it because it was just so overwhelming, genocide. The impulse to wipe an entire ethnic people off the face of the map. You can't get your mind around it. But here's what's true. In the history of humankind, there has never been a people subject to so much systematic persecution through the generations. From pogroms to ghettos to genocides, the fact that the Jewish people have survived, not only survived, that they are now thriving, indicates something more than human resilience or good luck, okay? I mean, why not the Italians, right? Why not the Irish? Why? Because there is a divine promise at work here, one that traces back all the way to the ancient prophecy found here in Genesis. Think about this. Think about all of Israel's neighbors mentioned in the Old Testament. Not one of them exists today. As Gary Frazier asks, he says this, he goes, have you ever met a Moabite? (laughs) Do you know any Hittites? Can you find the postal code of a single Edomite? Yeah, I think it's Hoboken. No. These ancient people disappeared from history and from the face of the earth. Yet the Jews, just as God promised, returned to their land in your lifetime. That's why the return of the Jews on May 14th, 1948 was an unprecedented super sign in Bible prophecy. Because never before in history has an ancient decimated people struggled to regain their, retain their identity over 20 centuries. And then reestablish their nation in their original homeland. Never before. This is the fulfillment of another prophecy God made that we've seen come true in our lifetime. In Ezekiel 36, God prophesied that Jewish people would not suffer forever. Here's what he promised. Look at these words. For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and let's say this together, bring you back into your own land. Today, over six million Jews are now back in Israel. It's the largest movement Of Hebrew people in history, it's the same number as the Jews killed in the Holocaust. Never before in history has this happened. And this is part of his story that Israel will first return to the land before they return to the Lord. See, May 14th, 1948 was more than like a blip on history's timeline. As we look through the third lens of prophecy, it was the promised fulfillment in the divine story of God. And in many ways, guys, this is the beginning for us. This is the beginning of how Israel is relevant in modern times. Because just as Israel was the ancient starting point for prophecy in Genesis, she will be the future staging ground for the events of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which we are going to look at in the weeks to come. But I want you to take a watch, keep on watch for mentions of Israel in the news, okay? You are going to see very quickly that she is ground zero for current tensions in the Middle East. Let me show you a picture. You guys know what this is? This is the, you guys know what this is? The Temple Mount, Dome of the Rock, okay? This is the most hotly contested piece of real estate in the world right now. This 35 acres, this is where the two Jewish temples of the Old Testament stood. But that's not a temple you're looking at. That's a mosque. That's El Aqsa Mosque because it's the third holiest site also in Islam. It's where they believe the prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven. And although it's been held by Israel since 1967, right now Israel and the Palestinian Authority both claim sovereignty over the state. It's a little dicey. So think of it this way. If Israel is the bullseye of world prophecy, Jerusalem is the bullseye of Israel, and the Temple Mount is the bullseye of Jerusalem. It's the bullseye of the bullseye of the bullseye, and that is the flashpoint for the global tensions and turmoil we're seeing in the world today. See, if you look at that promise to bless those who bless and curse those who curse, you would think Israel's enemies would have been warned, but think again. That anti-Semitic impulse persists today. Most recently, the president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, has openly declared that israel should be wiped off the map
2: taking aim once again at israel in the united states iranian president mahmoud Ahmadinejad repeated inflammatory comments that he made three years ago saying israel would soon disappear Ahmadinejad first made the remarks in two thousand five fueling international outrage and speculation that he was threatening the jewish state with a nuclear weapon But while speaking at a ceremony honoring the late founder of Iran's Islamic Republic, Ahmadinejad told an audience that, quote, this origin of corruption will soon be wiped off the Earth's face. Ahmadinejad also called the U.S. a satanic power that with God's will would be annihilated. On Tuesday, Ahmadinejad arrived in Rome for a U.N. summit designed to help combat skyrocketing food prices worldwide. His attendance at the meeting was denounced by both Jewish leaders and a host of political and activist groups.
1: Israel is considered the little Satan and America is considered the great Satan. And not only has Ahmadinejad declared publicly that it, death to Israel, he has gone on record as denying the Holocaust ever happened. Okay? This is a global leader who has a platform at the United Nations. And all of this is set against a backdrop of, the, of Iran's pursuit of a nuclear weapon. This past September, in New York City, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu appeared before the United Nations, demanding a clear red line to stop Iran from getting a nuclear device. And this has become a matter of grave concern to our country, the United States who stands with Israel, although we see that support now wavering a bit. We want to see peace in the Middle East. No one wants to see a regional war that destabilizes the entire globe. But guys, this is where our future merges with ancient prophecy because the rebirth of the nation of Israel is a modern miracle and is a super sign on God's timeline. It is setting the table for future events, as you are going to see next week. It is just the beginning of the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. I will take you out of the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. The events of 1948, they kind of pinpoint for us where we are on history's timeline. His author, Milton Lindberg, he actually pointed this out. I thought this was brilliant. He said, without the existence of the nation of Israel, we would not be able to say with certainty that we are in the last days. But that single event, more than any other, is the most prominent sign that we are living in the final moments before the coming of Jesus. The Hebrew people have been called what? God's timepiece for the ages. Can you read the signs? Why has a tiny nation the size of New Jersey, become the geopolitical center of the world? Answer, because they've been chosen by God from the beginning, and they are at the center of his story. They are his treasured possession, and a stage is being set for a global return, not just of Jews to their land, but to the Lord himself. Romans 11 says that one day all Israel will be saved. Now, I need to make a disclaimer here, because some people are like, well, wait. Do people in Israel believe in Jesus Christ? Not everybody agrees that Israel refers to the nation as an ethnic whole. For instance, most of modern Israel is secular, right? They don't hold to the teachings about Jesus or the scriptures. And that's why many Bible scholars believe all Israel refers to a spiritual nation that includes both Jews and Gentiles together. Others say, you know what, no, I think it's a remnant of ethnic Israel who will be saved through faith in Christ. And still others say, no, 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 there is coming a great massive national conversion of Israel someday, most likely triggered by the return of Jesus Christ when they see him. Either way, as Christ followers, and here at Liquid, we have people who follow Christ, who are Protestant, Catholic. We have people who are Jewish, who have become followers of Jesus. Reality is all of us need to pray for this tiny speck on a map, because here's the guarantee. These current rumblings in the least will impact your future. That's guaranteed. How exactly? You'll have to come back next week and find out. <laughs> next Sunday, we are going to connect the dots between terror, oil, and radical Islam, and so buckle up. We're going to see how these three factors uh, go into God's prophetic timeline, and then I just want to give you a sense of where we're going and the topics we're going to cover. We're also going to look at Christ's return. When is it? The rapture. Don't miss it. I don't want anyone left behind. Um, <laughs> We began today in Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. Eventually, we'll wind up in Revelation, the last and probably most challenging book in Scripture. We will see what God's Word says about the Antichrist, Armageddon, the final climactic battle on the earth's last days, and America. Alarmingly, America is not specifically mentioned in Bible prophecy. Why not? Why not? There are several possibilities. We're going to talk about that as well. So it's full steam ahead for the next three weeks, and I want to challenge you, invite You guys know you got somebody at work who's like, oh my gosh, they'd be so dialed into this. This is the series to invite them to, maybe a family member or a friend. And most importantly, this week, I want you to watch the news, read the read the news, and read the Bible together. We're going to interpret the darkness of one in the light of the other. Amen. Let me pray for us, Father God. We thank you for the clear sign and revelation of Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, that's why we have confidence because we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And, Lord, we have put our lives in your hand. We have trusted you as our Lord and Savior for salvation. But, God, would you just do something amazing over these next three weeks? Father, I ask that you would wake up your church, Father God. We want to live in a sobered way, Father, that realizes that the time has never been more present than right now, Father. You are close, and that window's closing. And there are people, Father, in our lives who don't know you. And that's of concern to us, God. And so I ask that you'd make it our burden, and I ask that your Holy Spirit would pour, pour out boldness on us as we hold forth the gospel and the truth about our Savior Jesus. We ask that in his name, and all God's people said together, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com.